The Oklahoma Sooners are still undefeated. We'll see if Caleb Williams is going to wear his fingernail polish when they play Utah and Ohio State, Penn State, plus a bonus interview with a certain Michigan player. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Oklahoma being undefeated and whether or not Central Florida is a trap game. Got to talk about Utah and USC and Pac-12 supremacy. But first, we got to talk about the big noon game, the big game of the week. That is number seven, Penn State at number three, Ohio State. 11 a.m. kickoff for me, a noon big kickoff for Eastern Time on Big Fox. Gus and Joel on the call with Jenny on the sideline. I'm fired up for this. I've been fired up for this for the better part of a couple of weeks. I needed some things to get taken care of, notably that Ohio State gets past Purdue because you never do know with those teams in Indiana, but Ohio State's gone 3-0 against teams from Indiana this year. And while UMass ain't nobody, just wanted Penn State to get through that one unscathed, no injury. So we're in good shape. We are in the best shape because we're going to see good on good, we hope. Right. So injuries on the Ohio State front. Travion Henderson, Denzel Burke and Nemeka Ibuka may or may not be back, but I don't blame Brian Day for playing coy if he knows something that we don't. But that's the thing right now for Ohio State. They were able to run the ball for 152 yards going into Purdue. Dallin Hayden in the backfield, Xavier Johnson also in the backfield. But Dallin Hayden had 76 of those 152 yards against Purdue. That was a really great rushing game for Ohio State. Problem is 5.8 yards per carry is great. Except it's Purdue, okay? And they're missing their home run hitter. Travion Henderson had a 61-yard touchdown against Notre Dame. They ran for all of 126 yards all game against Notre Dame in that game. You know what I'm saying here? You need to be able to run the football. But the thing that changed for Ohio State and the Buckeyes is that he just made it simple on last Saturday against Purdue. They ran a few tosses. They ran a few counters. They ran some outside zone stretch. They were able to say, hey, we're really talented in the offensive line. We're really talented in the backfield. Let's just make this game simple. And I would not be surprised if that is the way in which Ryan Day chooses to call Ohio State football offensive plays for the rest of the year. Keep it simple, stupid. We got Marvin Harrison Jr. and you don't. Full stop. There's one. We got Cade Stover and you don't, right? We have tailbacks that can gash you. We have an offensive line that is great on zone blocking. Let's just do that. But I think that guy wearing number one eight, number 18 in your heart, in your programs, number one in your hearts, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have a day. And if there is a day to have one, it is against Penn State. We'll get to the game in November. But right now, this is one for which it feels like Penn State has been coming for some time. Right. Last year was a great example of this. They had held Ohio State to all of 16 points until the fourth quarter. And then we got to see. JT to him allow called game with one of the best defensive performances that we have seen in the past 20 years. I'm going to say it again because the stats are just that nasty. Eight tackles, three for loss, two sacks, two picks, including a pick six and a forced fumble and a fumble recovery in that game last year against the Nittany Lions. Really responsible for three of the four turnovers that Penn State had in that game. But that also overshadowed Parker Washington went 11 catches for 170 yards. Sean Clifford threw for 364, threw three TDs, threw three picks. You can't afford to give up big plays to this Penn State 
offense because the Penn State defense is just that good. As a matter of fact, three of the four top defenses in the country scoring average are in the Big Ten East, and Penn State's one of them. You also got to add to this that Penn State has been remarkably good at not just running the ball, but stopping the run. Again, I go back to Ohio State's got to be able to run the ball on one of the best rush defenses in all of football. If they can, you can see how this was going Ohio State's way. However, the series history is not kind to Penn State. As a matter of fact, Ohio State has won the last six straight against Penn State and 10 of the last 11. And I called the NCAA bylaws hotline at 614-GOT-DAMN and they told me that the clarification uh, was, in fact, correct. Given the recent series history between the Buckeyes and the Nittany Lions on a football field in State College, uh, Pennsylvania, is now in Ohio State territory until such a time as Penn State, you know, can win a football game against Ohio State. This might be that year. I think between Kyle McCord and Drew Allard, you're going to see fireworks. This is the second biggest game of Kyle McCord's career. He already got that win against Notre Dame. He would have probably liked it to go gone a little bit smoother than it did, but you're happy to get the win. For Aller, this is personal. You didn't think I was going to get a Coach Prime reference in here on a bye week, but I did. It's personal for Drew L.R. So that dude's from Ohio. I've been told that it's very personal to his family. And I've been told that, it, you know, the circumstances were what they were. And that Ryan Day had already filled his position for uh, that year at quarterback. but And didn't offer one Drew Aller. He ends up at Penn State. Whether or not Aller takes that seriously... When they get to go to the shoe to go dealing, we will see. But he has been pretty outstanding in his first year as a starter this year. He's got 12 passing TDs and zero picks thrown in 181 attempts. I don't care that you haven't played stellar competition. It is very impressive to take care of the football for as long as he has through half the season. You're also talking about one 300-yard passing performance, but he hasn't needed to do much, right? Because he's got Katron Allen and Nick Singleton in the backfield. Olu Fashionu on the offensive line that's been stellar. He hasn't needed to go find Keandre Lambert-Smith as often as we might think, or Liam Clifford, right? He's had his opportunities to go down the field. He will continue to because he's got a rifle for an arm. But I think that we're overlooking just how important a win for James Franklin might be in this series. I, I say we. Penn State fans aren't. They know what the history is. They know what the history is against Michigan. They know they can win 11 games. And lose a game to Michigan and Ohio State. And it feels like this is all for naught. But this is also the most talented football team that James Franklin has had since he's been at Penn State. And he's had a couple of teams that include Saquon Barkley and Micah Parsons. Okay? That's what we're saying. But it's about that defense for them. Manny Diaz has those dudes playing lights out football. They were great last year. They're still good this year. I can't wait to see if uh, a Kalen King or a Johnny Dixon can line up and take away Marvin Harrison Jr. Also, Johnny Dixon better keep his head on a swivel because there was one at Ohio State playing wide receiver. Now there's one at Penn State <laughs> playing cornerback. Johnny Dixon's going to be in for it one way or the other. I just can't wait to see which one uh, Twitter decides to go and get into their mentions depending on what's going on in the game. For the Buckeyes, again, stemming that offensive line for the Penn State front on defense is going to be a big deal. They haven't been outstanding in run defense, but they have been outstanding in preventing people from scoring, which means limiting the big plays. Like, quiet as it's kept, that's a really great scoring defense precisely because guys are beginning to understand their roles in Jim Knowles' defense, and they are keeping a lid on these explosives, and they are able to stop people from making those 5, 7, 10-yard plays into 25 and 50, 75-yard touchdowns. It's going to get tougher 
as the season goes on, but that's how most of the Big Ten schedule is stacked up, particularly for these two. But again, can Penn State stop that guy named Marvin Harrison Jr.? And can Ohio State stop those guys, stick Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, and then limit the damage that a guy who's just walking into this rivalry as a starting quarterback in Drew Allar might be able to do, right? I don't know how his emotions are going to look for this, but we'll find out. I think this game has the same implications as Oregon, Washington, as Duke, Florida State, which we'll talk about, as Oklahoma and Texas, as Ohio State and Michigan. This is a college football playoff quarterfinal, and I think it can directly affect the rankings. I'll add here, no one expects Penn State to be good in this game, except Penn State fans. And the reason I say that is, all you got to do is go look at how the AP voters think about Penn State. They think less of them than I do. And they decided to give Ohio State at least one vote to be the number one team in the country. And Penn State didn't get any at all. This is an opportunity for you to just rise up those rankings with a signature win on the road. And I dare say it would be the best win of the season for anybody if they were able to pull this off. Because Oklahoma beat Texas, but Oklahoma beat Texas on a neutral site. This would be Penn State traveling to the shoe and doing basically what... Ohio, or excuse me, what Michigan and Oregon have done in the last couple of years and getting a really big win. Be bigger than Ohio State beating Notre Dame and South Bend because obviously Notre Dame lost games to Louisville uh, and Ohio State. But we'll see. I, I think for Ohio State, if they win this game, would I have to think about making them the number one team in the country? It depends. It depends on how good they look, what the margin of victory is. And if we see something different from that offense than we have seen in recent past, I'm not used to a Ryan Day football team being truly outstanding defensively and still figuring it out offensively, which is another way of saying, if Ryan Day finds something that clicks in a big way where that offense is firing on cylinders that, well, I, frankly, I didn't know that he got that underneath the hood, then I'll have to think about him differently. But right now, I got a hard time with that. Still... I want to see how it plays out, and I want to see how the rest of the weekend plays out because last week we had seven top 25 teams take L's, and a couple of those nobody saw coming. We will see because one way or another, one of these top 10 teams is going to take their first L of the season. 6-0 coming into this for both of those. Fired up for this. Can't wait to talk about it with you on Saturday night when we do the live show here after Alabama-Tennessee, which is the next game that we got to talk about on the docket. Oh, before I get out of here, Ohio State's my pick, right? Uh, yeah, chalk. That's what that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're mostly going chalk here, right? I don't see any upsets because we're starting to figure out who people are. But I, I like Ohio State here because I like the way the defense is playing. And I like Marvin Harrison Jr. more than I like Manny Diaz as secondary. That's it, right? I think when you got the play on the, uh, on the line, you're going to go up to 1-8. And 1-8 is going to go make a play because that's what he's been doing for the past couple of years. All right. Now let's talk about number 17, Tennessee at number 11, Alabama. No secret, the last time that these two played, the Volunteers fans took goalpost home from Neyland. It's a really interesting day and a very cool day. As a matter of fact, uh, not to put anybody on front street here, but I'm kind of gonna. Uh, my beloved producer, Catherine Kodaji, is a Tennessee alumna. And her face, after learning the score of this game, is on my phone. I love that moment so much for her. I love that moment so much for Tennessee fans. My big cousin, Rico, huge Volunteers fan. That was an emotional moment for them. They were able to get that Alabama monkey off their chest and do what they had never done, which is beat Nick Saban at Alabama. Now the challenge is, can you do it twice and can you do it in Tuscaloosa, which is a whole different argument, right? Now, it ain't the same Alabama it was last year. There's no Bryce Young there, right? There's no guy that's going to go for four bills against you, okay? 
But Hendon Hooker ain't at Tennessee anymore either, right? Neither is Jalen Hyatt, who's going for 200. It's a totally different Tennessee. It's a totally different Alabama. But the more things change, the more things stay the same. The thing that I'm looking at here is, is it going to be a Joe and a squirrel? Or is it going to be Joe Milton and squirrel white? Okay. That's what I want to know. Is it going to be Jalen Wright's day or Jalen Milrose day? That's what I want to know. Because now that Alabama has solidified that Jalen Milrow is their guy and he's been allowed to grow into that job and Tommy Reese has gotten better about dialing up plays that work for him, he looks all but lethal in the last couple of outings he's had because he's lethal running the football and he's got a cannon for an arm and he's accurate down the field. Intermediate passes are still the bugaboo for him. But against the Tennessee team that likes to go at warp speed, you get a couple of easy stops. You might go up 14-0 pretty quick. Ask Florida how it looks when Tennessee's offense is stalling. You can get them in Tennessee only lost this year is to Florida on the road. I'll add to this that Alabama's defense, while not one of the best scoring defenses in the country, is still really damn good and terrifying. We're talking about Dallas Turner having seven sacks in six games, leads the SEC in sacks. Kool-Aid McKinstry has become their shutdown corner. Caleb Downs has been outstanding. Dre Blythe's a younger nephew and Josh Downs' little brother at safety. Plan as a true freshman out there. You could see how Nick Saban and Kevin Steele have been able to put together the kind of defense that they're proud of and trying to make the offense in something that just gets out of its way. I like Nick Saban, def uh, Nick Saban defenses, but I love Nick Saban when his defense is leading the charge, and I'm sure he does too, because this is a man who prides himself on sitting on your chest. He wants to stop you doing anything you want offensively, and he wants to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and if you can get Jermaine Burton open down the sideline, you're going to take that all day. If you can get Nye Black open in the middle of the field, you're going to take that all day. Bama ain't lost back-to-back -back games against the same opponent in recent years since Ole Miss 2014-2015. Tennessee has not doubled up Alabama since 2003-2004, and that time they went and got the win in Tuscaloosa before they got the win in Knoxville. I'm going to pick Alabama here which is no surprise, right? They have been tough all year. They were tough against Texas, even in that game that they lost by 10 points. And I think they were still trying to figure out who the hell their starting quarterback was supposed to be when it's been Julian Murrow all along. You just need to see the other guys come out there. You need a South Florida game. You needed to grow up. And even against Arkansas, when it felt like they were trying to throw that game to KJ Jefferson, who gave me the best soundbite that I've ever heard from Nick Saban, which is he saw KJ Jefferson throw Terry and Arnold off like... Like a fly on a cow's ass. One of the most impressive football plays he's ever seen. And that man was a full load, right? I still think that they're talented enough to overcome their mistakes. They were undisciplined in that game. They couldn't make tackles. And Arkansas fought their way back into that. And yet and still, Alabama comes out on top against Arkansas. Alabama's also quietly one of just two teams in the SEC that have not taken a conference loss. So now... It's about can Alabama win the SEC West, perhaps get to Georgia, who looks vulnerable, and take advantage of that. And we could just as easily end up with Alabama in the college football playoff all along. All right, let's go from Alabama, Tennessee, to number 16, Duke, at number four, Florida State. I'm going to start with Duke here. I'm start with Duke. Start with the colonizers. The ranked teams left on their schedule include number 21, Louisville, who I barely ranked after – what should be an embarrassing loss to a bad Pittsburgh team. But you know what? They're ranked. They got them next week. They also got 
North Carolina, which is going to be a very cool game if Duke can come out of this thing. Uh, and that game is on November 11th at Carolina. And I've said it once and I'll continue to say it until we play this game. Ain't nobody that likes beating up on Duke more than Carolina. Football, basketball, pickleball, you choose the ball. We will show up to beat up on Duke. That's who Carolina is. So I can't, I really want this to go out the way that it is. But this top 25 matchup kind of feels like a sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. And yet, and still probably would go that way, right? I'm gonna get there. You'd love to have Riley Leonard back for Duke in this because one, we all would love to see Duke at full strength, right? Because what he was able to do against Clemson and since being healthy had been outstanding. Went out in the Notre Dame game, but he was not in uniform against North Carolina State last week, but he didn't have a boot on his ankle either. And he was walking around just fine. So maybe Mike Elko knows something that we don't. But here's something that we do know. Henry Bellin ain't, ain't it. He ain't it. That dude went four of 12 with two TDs and a pick against North Carolina State. That ain't that ain't that ain't gonna do enough against Florida State. Not Joe Campbell. That's not gonna do enough. Mm -mm, mm -mm, no, mm -mm. you might you might need to change up what you're doing over there, Mike Elko. The Blue Devils look like a meal for this FSU defense. Blue Devils looking like an FSU snack. Blue Devils looking like deviled eggs. If this doesn't go their way with a Riley Leonard or a strong performance from a quarterback, maybe it's Henry Bellin. I just I am I don't think that's I don't think that's it. I think you need Riley Leonard for this game, but. The Duke D is long and strong, and they have been holding people to 10 points or fewer this season. They are one of the four best scoring defenses in football. The others are all Big Ten East teams in the top 25 and top 10. They've been outstanding. Like we're talking about, we're talking about a Duke team that is on par with what Iowa has been the last few years. You've heard me say that Iowa's defense with Phil Parker leading has been one of the best scoring defenses the last couple of years, and they're showing that again. The, the, count, the counter there is just that. If Iowa played in the ACC, it would be Duke because that defense has just been that great. Linebacker Trey Freeman has been a godsend for them. That dude was lights out against North Carolina State. 15 tackles, three for loss, just out there running down everybody. And that's the identity of this Duke team. And that makes perfect sense when you know Mike Elko, who is an outstanding coordinator, an outstanding play caller, but he's got those dudes believing. And they're not coming out of nowhere. They won nine games last year, right? They're good. And they've been built from the defense up and hoping that they can get a playmaker in Riley Leonard. But FSU is a team that's averaging 42 points per game. Okay? Against North Carolina nobility, a.k.a. Duke, they ought to be good. Now, I need you to make a believer out of me, FSU, because I ain't, I ain't there yet. I, I I still ain't there yet. I saw you against LSU. I saw the first half. I don't believe you. I saw you need to come back to beat Clemson in overtime. I don't believe you. This is the last opportunity that you have to make me a believer in beating a top opponent, a top 25 program, because there ain't none left on your schedule. You could walk into the ACC title game undefeated. You could actually win the ACC title undefeated. But if you can't beat up on Duke, how am I going to expect you to beat up on Michigan, Georgia, right? I mean, we're, we're taking a look at this, and I know you got Jordan Travis. I know you got Keon Coleman. I know you got Jaeen Bell. I know you got Jared Verse, but I ain't seen it. Osceola and the Panhandle Tribal Nation have beat the colonizers back with at least 31 points scored in every game they played and 40 or more in the last three. But can you do it against Duke at home? And if there ain't no Riley Leonard there, you better hit your 42-point average. 
Because I don't demand you to be undefeated to be one of the best teams in the country. I demand you to be dominant and undefeated. I don't want to put the best fourth team there. I root for that team. That team's called Oklahoma. That team gets beat down. I want to see you show you deserve this ranking. And that's what we do in this sport. Okay? Don't let anybody tell you different. We talk about your eyes. We talk about how you look. We talk about the scoreboard. We talk about the margin of victory. We do not talk about wins and losses because we assume you are undefeated. Now be dominant and undefeated. Go out and dominate the colonizers. Go out, dominate the Krzyzewskis, and do it at home in Tallahassee. All right? Make a statement. I'm going to pick Florida State to win this game. Again, that ain't controversial. I need you to win it by a lot, or you're going to see and hear from me about it come Saturday night after Alabama, Tennessee, right here on the number one college football show, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Now, let's move to the Pac-12, to the West Coast. It's been the best coast, at least through the half the season. Number 14, Utah at number 18, USC. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Big Fox. And I'm excited about this one because last time that they two played, the reigning Heisman winner showed up with four-letter word on his fingernails and Utah. And not only did he lose that game to Utah, my man's Cam Rising got up in front of everybody and heard what Caleb Williams had done with his fingernails, with his pedicure, with his manicure, and said, well, I hope he liked it. Legend. Absolute legend. Absolute legend. And you know what? Since Cam Rising has been the starter at Utah, Utah has won two Pac-12 championships. However, he has not started a game for Utah all year. And at this point, we are right to think he might not start a game for Utah all year, which means you're going to walk in there probably with Bryson Barnes. And while Bryson Barnes is an FBS quarterback at a Power 5 institution, he ain't no Cam Rising. Cam Rising makes that team different offensively. makes them a threat, honestly, offensively in a way that you don't feel threatened by Utah. Utah, going that way of Duke, going that way of Iowa, built from the defense up. But, you know, that also taken on a USC team that has it played pretty bad defensively in all but one. And the one game that they played well in, the offense was historically Lincoln Riley bad, and they lost that game to Notre Dame. You're right to think that the USC offense and Caleb Williams primarily, three interceptions in the first half after never throwing more than, what, two in a single head game, he ain't going to play that badly the rest of the way. And I don't know that he's even going to play that badly against one of the better defenses they're going to face the rest of the year in Utah. But you certainly got to get a win in this one. And psychologically, it ain't been going your way. Now, you lost the first one, 42-26, 2021, when Clay Helton was there, right? The second one that you lost, 43-42, is, I mean, well, that's three. 43-32 is uh, Lincoln Riley's first year. And then in the Pac-12 championship, 47-24, which not only secured the consecutive Pac-12 title for Utah, but managed to kick UC, uh, USC out of the CFP and into a Cotton Bowl whooping by something called Tulane. They'll give it up to you. They will. It's about can you take advantage of it. And if you thought that Notre Dame defense was tough, and it's tough, just wait until you see Morgan Scalley and his use and his tribe storm the Coliseum. You're going to show up like Troy more than uh, pissed Achilles after Petroclus was taken out, and they have made you their Hector. Somebody read the Iliad. That's all I'm going to say. But if anybody can go get it, it's going to be CW who makes like Aphrodite's favorite son. That would be Achilles. And he can do what he wants most games, right? The Notre Dame game we get to throw as an outlier because that dude's just been outstanding in quite literally every other game that he has played, 
even against Utah on one leg, he was still dynamic. I I got a hard time just picking against the CW, number 13 on your dial, right? Right there next to, what is it? Uh, yeah, inside the NFL now and live golf, right there, next to uh, DC Comics. But in this game, you know, you're facing a team that I think is looking for a reason to get fired up. Just don't give them one. Go into that one being complimentary of Utah, saying all the right things about Utah, and then go get a W because I think more than anything else, Caleb Williams does enough to fire up Utah and Utah's fans. Maybe he's just going to keep that same energy because that's who he is, but I would not be shocked if he shows up or not. It's a great football team. We lost to him. It's time that we get a W. And you better because the schedule does not get any weaker if you're USC. You still got games left against Oregon, Washington, and UCLA. Okay. I, and if you run that gauntlet, you still got to play in the Pac-12 championship against perhaps Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, or even UCLA, right? Or Utah for that matter, right? It's not easy and it's going to get even more difficult. But you know what? Lincoln Riley's teams have done what we asked them to in November, which is go win. So this year, November, just think about it starting a couple of weeks earlier. I'm picking USC to win this game. I think that that's, again, chalk, right? But I'm picking USC just because I don't think that the offense is going to be as bad as it was against Notre Dame, even though I don't expect the defense to be as good as it was against Notre Dame. But there is no Sam Hartman back there, and there certainly is no Cam Rising we can speak of back there. So maybe, maybe USC can make this one into a two-score win. We'll see. Now, let's move on to Central Florida at number six, Oklahoma. This was pretty simple for me. Oklahoma's given up 14 a game in a top 10 scoring defense, but don't mind Oklahoma. You know, your three TD favorite against Central Florida. You should be. You're contending for a national title now. Run it up. Dominate. Do not let the fighting Malzons get an inch. I understand that Central Florida is 0-3 in big boy foot. I'm sorry, in Big 12 play. Central Florida also blew a 28-point lead against Baylor and lost by a combined 42 points to Kansas and Kansas State. Sunflower State owns the city of Orlando. That's Disney. That's all of it. It all belongs to those folks over there in the Sunflower State. Do you realize that Central Florida is giving up 44 points, 491 yards a game in big boy foot against Big 12 competition? The Knights get John Rice Plumley back, but, you know, that's big for Central Florida. Because they ain't won a game without him. But, you know, it ain't like that's going to change much. But RJ, J-Rip, J-R-P, that dude is banging people like JBL in a hat. Cowboy hat. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. He's thrown for 2,500 yards and 850 rush yards last 13 games in Central Florida. That's true. That's all true. But against big boy foot, did it again, against power five opponents, he ain't been good when they ask him to throw the football. Like at Ole Miss, he's averaging for a full year 52.7% completion rate. Okay? That's bad. At Power 5 teams, 2022, against big boy, against Power 5 teams, 2022, Central Florida quarterback John Rice Plumley completed just 53% of his passes at 4.3 yards per attempt. That dude is legs against teams like Oklahoma, and Oklahoma should show its might in this football game. Again, if you're Oklahoma, you know that people don't mind you. I want them to play, though, like the AP voters believe that Florida State's a better football team. I want them to play like they think Washington is a better football team because they do. I want them to play like Bass Reeves with the lever action, a six-shooter, in the corner of a Muskogee saloon, minding his own, admiring the wood, but 
I also want Oklahoma to play like they don't hope, but they wish you would. Don't mind Oklahoma. We fly over state. You know, we just wishing a woodpecker would. That's all we're doing. I'm going to pick Oklahoma in this one. I'm going to pick them going away. Leads me to the last game that we got to talk about on the slate for this Saturday. It's number two, Michigan at Michigan State. So start like this. Trouble with the step. Famous last words. There's a seven-year-old somewhere because, you know, Spartan family decided to have my chemical romance after Michigan State upset Michigan October 17, 2015-27-23. Really outstanding into a football game. I hope that kid's name Leonidas since we going to just keep it on going with the Greek and the mythology. But it's 2023, and in 2023, it goes like this. Mel Tucker gets suspended on September 10th, and the Spartans ain't won a football game since. And it's it's kind of getting embarrassing for them only here recently because it's not that you lost to Rutgers. It's that you blew a lead against Rutgers. And Rutgers is quietly 5-2. and two. And you're Michigan State. A couple years ago, we talked about 11 wins, right? We talked about K-9. Right. We're talking about just who they are going to be. And that's their far cry from that. Now, again, you can't squander an 18 point lead against Rutgers and expect me to pick you against the best team in football, according to moi. For Michigan, like Oklahoma, dominate. Take care of your business. Put up 50 again. Don't let Michigan State inside your 10. I don't want to see Michigan State team score at all. I want to see perfection. That's what I want from Michigan. Perfection. I don't like having to tell people how good you are. I don't like people coming up to me talking about RJ ain't played nobody. Ain't nobody played nobody. You know what? Michigan didn't play nobody last year. It didn't matter. They ran through the Big Ten like a hot knife through butter. I want to see, can you be perfect? I want to see the clean the team that scared the hell out of PJ Fleck going, they do not make mistakes. Continue to be about your business, okay? Continue to walk people down with that outstanding offensive line. Continue to let J.J. McCarthy make great plays and continue to let Jesse Minter call one hell of a defense. Be the most complete team in the sport. Show that against a Michigan State team that is still trying to find a reason to beat you other than, oh, yeah, we would like to be able to go to East Lansing with this great win. I'm picking Michigan in this game. I think I made that pretty much clear, but I'm still fascinated by just how good this football team is. And I wanted to know a little bit more about it. So I asked a newcomer to the Michigan football program and new starter in Ladarius Henderson to join me here on the number one college football show. So we could talk about what he sees that makes Michigan such a great program. I'm pleased to be joined by Michigan offensive lineman Ladarius Henderson, who goes by LD. LD, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm good, brother. I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, I want to get started off the rip. I have had Michigan ranked as the number one team in the country for a few weeks now. Do you believe that Michigan is the number one team in the country? I mean, we should be. We better be. Um, I mean, we don't we don't like to do too much talking with our mouth, though. So, I mean, we still got a lot more to prove and a lot of games to do it. But, I mean, as far as the way we talk in our building and what we believe in ourselves and what we're capable of, we definitely should be. I think so, too. It's more about who, not who you're playing, but how you are playing against them. And y'all been nothing but dominating this year, which is not exactly unexpected, given what the schedules look like. It's going to get a little bit tougher come November. 
But I'm mm -hmm. curious about when did you first see that this Michigan team could be dominating? Well, um, even dating back is when I was deciding on what school I wanted to go to out of the transfer portal, just seeing how many players they had returning. And not only um, just about the players that Michigan had, had returning, but just kind of their the mindset and the how how they speak in this building and how they kind of go about every day to day. And it's like, man, a team like this with players like this and coaches like this can really have a shot. So I want to be a part of that. Well, you certainly are going to have an opportunity to be a part of that, given what Michigan has been basically the last couple of years. But I'm curious, as a guy who was a captain at Arizona State, played for Herm Edwards, uh, really good running the football over there. What was it like to know that you have to play yourself into even game time situations, let alone a starting job at Michigan? Um, well, so like you said, I got to play for Coach Herm Edwards. And I mean, I got to see a lot of success at Arizona State early on. I got to, you know, be a true freshman there and start for four years. And just coming to a program like this out of the transfer portal, you know, being a new guy and um, just kind of working your way into a starting role, having to go out and earn that, that's something that, I, I wasn't going to shy away from, you know, so it, I feel like as a player, especially a football player, any athlete, really, you have to be extremely confident and sometimes even to a fault. But um, if you don't believe in yourself to go out and earn something that you want and you feel like you're capable of doing, then you kind of got more problems than the football. So um, it's I, I wasn't afraid of it. And I'm <laughs> one of the best decisions I made in my life. I really like that perspective. Uh, I like it a lot more because that offensive line group with you is extremely deep. Seven guys that Jim Nagy told me right here on this show would not be surprised to see all seven of you dudes drafted in 2024. And I believe that would be a first for any school with that number of offensive linemen. But it's one thing to have faith in yourself and faith in the program. It is another thing to win offensive player of the week as an <laughs> offensive lineman in Nebraska, 45-7, but also – I read Austin Meeks' story in The Athletic, and he cited that the offensive linemen were getting ready to take a picture to celebrate their win at Lincoln. And Trevor Keegan noticed that you weren't there, and he invited <laughs> you over and told everybody how much they trust you. What does that mean to you as a player that's coming in your first year and really trying to earn the trust of that room? Man, it means it means so much because, like like you said, there's seven, seven guys who um, are on scouting reports for the next level. So there's but there's only five guys that are going to play and um, at, at a time. And just that these guys who have seen so much success in the Big Ten and have their own lucrative resumes going on, it's just like that we trust each other. And there's just so much love in this room, to be completely honest. Like, those are my guys. And I'm sure they would say the same thing about me. And for them to, you know, feel that way about me, it speaks volume, I think. And I feel the exact same way about them. I, I'll trust that guy. And. We just have a bunch of not only talented guys, but just smart guys in our room that really know football and just trust each other and really like each other. So, I mean, it's it's awesome to be in a room like that. A lot of programs tout themselves as being an offensive line first university, knowing that the offense needs to start with you all. But it feels like with Coach Harbaugh and Coach Moore, that's who the identity of this program has become, two-time Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. You got really thunder and lightning back there in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. 
How does it feel to know that whoever's lining up against you, the five of y'all going to be able to move them and open up these holes for these backs and get what you need, not just what you want? Oh, uh, hey, Joe, Joe Moore said it. There's no greater feeling than moving a man from point A to point B. Point B. But um, it's awesome. Like, I feel like teams have to legitimately, you know, think, man, we have to come with it. We have to play our best game with these guys. And people respect us. And, you know, respect is a privilege. But, hey, I just we just like to focus on not what we've been or should I say what they've been, but just kind of what we want to continue to be because, I mean, there's mountains and there's valleys, and we want to make sure we – even though these guys have seen the top and we want to continue to see higher than that, but we just want to make sure we never get complacent, if that makes sense. It does. It also kind of screams your head coach's personality, right? Mm -hmm. uh, coach Harbaugh is an everyday dude, but he's also a severe dude. Same thing with Coach Edwards. He's an everyday dude, but he's also a severe dude. They're about football. They're about the main thing being the main thing. I wonder, do you see similarities between Coach Harbaugh and Coach Edwards? Uh. Of course. Uh, I think the biggest similarity that I see between both of the head coaches that I had uh, are really just their charismatic personalities. Like a team meeting is, is it's although it is we get what we need to get out of team meetings and it, we, we do talk business. It is you, you can you can see some funny stuff in there, man. Like just like they, the way they um can command the room is. Please give me an example of Coach Harbaugh doing something, let's say, that uh, caught you off guard. Coach Harbaugh, okay. Um, he, let's see, that's a good example of Coach Harbaugh. He's just very, um, very intelligent, and he has, he has, he's seen so much, and he's so experienced. He has a ton of stories that resonate with what we, what we're going through. Like a bunch, not okay. You got to follow me on this one, all right? Okay. All right. Be prepared. Not to compare Coach Harbaugh to Jesus. That's crazy. You know how we, start. <laughs> that's a crazy start. That's a crazy start. Um, you know how in the Bible when people would ask Jesus something and he would come back with a parable? Yeah. Sometimes it's like that, but it's it's funny. It's it's super cool. It's just he has he has stories on top of stories, but they all because he's seen so much. He played so much. He's he's a legend, and it's awesome. So I I can't get into specific stories because it's not fresh on my mind, but that's just – yeah, I, I wasn't trying to make clickbait right there, but it no, just No, it strikes as authentic. It really does because that's also what we get to see from Coach Harbaugh on the sidelines and in interviews. Like he is himself full-time all the time, and that's one of the th reasons I believe – He's become such an endearing figure at Michigan. Even if it didn't get started as quickly as people wanted it to, you come to respect and even like that guy being on your sideline. So that leads me to what was it like to not have him on the sideline for those first three games of your career at Michigan? Um, you know, it was the thing is it made us want we wanted to go get those games and attack those games and kind of add a more fuel to our fire in a way. And um, like our, we really will love our coach to be here. He really will love to be here. And let's go handle business until he can get back, you know. And our the coaches that we did have fill in for him, they did an amazing job. And I'm sure we got a lot of future head coaches in our, on our staff. But it's one of those things we wanted to go, let's go attack this for our coach, you know.
Well, I'm going to add there because I believe that Coach Moore is on that trajectory of being a head coach. I'm, I'm an Oklahoma fan. I grew up in Oklahoma. I live in Oklahoma. I respect Coach Moore quite a bit. I'm sure you do too. Oh, yeah. What about him do you think makes him a great candidate to be not just your offensive line coach and coordinator, but perhaps even a future head coach? Uh, I don't like, there's so many things I could say, like how much time do we have? Like, um, this guy, I mean, not only is he one of the smartest football minds I've been around, um, he's also one of the more personable people, easy to talk to, um, understanding guys like to be around, um, just he under, he's a great teacher. I feel like a lot of people, um, get into coaching and, or wanting a lot of players, a lot of players think, okay, whenever my, whenever I'm done, I'm going to just get into coaching. But people don't realize there's an element of teaching that you have to be relatively good at to be a good coach. You know, he's a great teacher, great leader. Can, he can get you fired up. He can also teach you the game. Like, I, what can he do is the real question. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. My last one for you. What do you want to accomplish with the time you have left at the University of Michigan? Um... I feel like things that kind of changes as when once you actually get into this building. I mean, as a as a player entering the transfer portal, like back in December, I probably would have told you I want to oh, I want to go to Michigan. I want to play with the best offensive line. I want to, you know, boost my draft stock as much as I possibly can and um all this which all these things are true and there they still are goals, but as a player, once you get in this building and you experience, you know, ex this building and experience Michigan Wolverine football, uh, we want to win, and I want to win, and that's what I want to do. Like, I'm just being completely honest with you. Well, you're on that trajectory and hoping to get Michigan where they've never gone before, which is to a national title game in the college football playoff era and maybe even a national championship. Ladarius Henderson, thank you so much for taking time to join me here on the number one college football show. <laughs> thank you so much. My thanks to Ladarius Henderson for joining us here on the number one college football show. I enjoyed talking with him and I wish him great success against Michigan State and in the rest of the college football season. That is going to do it for us on this episode, though, of the number one college football show. We will be back live Saturday night following Alabama Tennessee. All right, that's going to do it for me. This is. <laughs>